today, Father's Day, and ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to minister to each heart. Lord, fathers, especially to encourage them to walk in the way that you would have them. Yet each person here, Lord, we pray that you would bless us from your word and the truths that are in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to the passage that the song came from. That would be First Chronicles, chapter 25, the book of First Chronicles, chapter 25. There have been several occasions where I have preached a a sermon and Julia has written a song uh, based upon the sermon. Today's a little different. She wrote the song and I'm going to preach a sermon on the same text that the song came from. And so we're going to look in our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 25. I'd like to read the first six verses there. It says, Moreover, David and the captains of the host separated to the service of the sons of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, who should prophesy with harps, with psalteries, and with cymbals. And the number of the workmen according to the service was of the sons of Asaph, Zachor, and Joseph, Nathaniah, and Azrelah, And the sons of Asaph, under the hands of Asaph, which prophesied according to the order of the king. Of Jeduthun, the sons of Jeduthun, Gedaliah, and Zerai, and Jesahiah, Habiah, and Matitahiah, six, under the hands of their father, Jeduthun who prophesied with a harp to give thanks to praise the Lord. Of Heman, the sons of Heman, Bukiah and Mataniah, Uziel, Shebuel, and Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Elathath, Gedaltai, and uh, Roman Tedezer, Jehoshaphat, Mahathani, Hothair, and Mahazioth. All these were the sons of Heman, the king's seer, in the words of God, to lift up the horn. And God gave Heman fourteen sons and three daughters. All these were under the hands of their father for song in the house of the Lord, with cymbals, psalteries, and harps for the service of the house of God, according to the king's order to Asaph, Jeduthun and Heman. So we have a lot of names here in in the Bible, but we have these men, and the song was under the hand of their father. Under the hands of their father is is in our text, and we have this phrase used uh, several times in the Bible, and every time that it is used. Uh, under the hand or under the hands, it is talking about uh, a dominion or authority. The, uh, in Exodus chapter 18, uh, Moses had met Jethro, after, his father-in-law, after the passing of the Red Sea. And here was what Jethro said in Exodus 18. He said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now, you know that that was not a pleasant time. They were under complete domination and slavery to the Egyptian people. And this phrase, under the hand, was used to describe this relationship. Uh, Later on, a little different aspect here. Uh, we have uh, David uh, ordering the armies uh, to try to uh, uh, quell the rebellion of Absalom. And in Second Samuel 18, it says, And David sent forth the third part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, 
the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. And uh, so we have here a, a little different look at this under the hand. They were under the command of these men. They were to follow the orders, and as they would set the battle, they were to follow the direction of their leaders. Then we come to our text today. And in verse 6, gives a summary of the entire passage. It says, all these were under the hands of their father for song in the house of the Lord. And then it lists all of the uh, emphasis there. Let's go back to verse 2. And uh, we have the three sons of Asaph under the hands of Asaph, which prophesied according to the order of the king. Now, that's an interesting phrase there. Prophecy was the telling forth of God's word. Yet, this prophecy was according to the order of the king. So, this was not new revelation here. This was a repeating of God's present revelation. Uh, This was the singing of hymns, the singing of Scripture, the repeating of Scripture that was already there. The king was the leader of the nation of Israel. We know that David was a man that uh, the Bible describes after God's own heart. And David said, "Uh, I want to lead this people not only politically and economically, but spiritually as well. And I'm going to give direction to the passages of Scripture that I want you to bring forth to the people, to the nation, in song. And so those were the sons of Asaph. And as you go through the Psalms, you'll see several of them, are, many of them are titled either to Asaph or to the sons of Asaph, even by Asaph, as the king would give him direction, that was how he was. And then you had Jeduthun. And it says that he prophesied with the harp. Now, I I do not intend to take the entire sermon this morning and, and preach about music, but I do want you to understand music is important. It is part of our worship. And this is one of the reasons why we reject wholeheartedly, completely, the what is known as the contemporary Christian movement. Uh, does that mean every song that is contemporary? Well, we heard, if you want the simple definition, contemporary means modern day. Uh, you're the author of, uh, the, of the composer of that song, Under the Father's Hands, is here. So that makes it contemporary, right? Uh, not in the same way, my friend. Just because it's new does not mean it's part of this contemporary Christian movement. What, what contemporary Christian music is as a genre, as a title, and you can look it up, is music for the church molded by the world. How many of you have ever been moved by the music in a movie? All of a sudden, it's happy, and then they hit a dissonant chord, and you say, ah, something's going to happen. And it starts building and building and building, and you think it can't build anymore, and then the monster shows up. Or something terrible happens, or... Uh, the gun goes off, or and you just sit there go, ah, you know, music moves you. I had a professor at Bible college, and uh, he played the saxophone very well, and I wanted to take lessons from him and learn how to play, and much of. Whatever ability I still have left is because of time I spent with this man and, and the teaching he gave me as a young student in Bible college. And 
One day he said, I want to take a few minutes and help you understand a few things. He said, you need to understand that music is a neutral medium through which messages are transmitted. And I looked at him and I said, Dr. Bolin, I don't believe that. And he went on to proceed to try to explain that to me. And I said, Dr. Bolin, I am not going to believe that. I refuse to accept what you're teaching. Only twice in my Bible college education did I contradict a professor. And this was in private. And, and uh, because it's not right to contradict those in authority over you unless they are transgressing the Scripture. And I got up and I packed up my saxophone and that was my last lesson that I ever got from Dr. Bowen. He destroyed the entire music program at the college I am at. He is responsible for the fact now that they no longer have song leaders. They have worship teams that dance on the stage to the music and lead people, both men and women, up there. And, and a preacher friend of mine described it this way. He said, the girls on the stage, he said, the necklines were a little low and the hems were a little high. And he said, I couldn't concentrate on the music. That's what you get when you go to Broadway, my friend. Ought not be what you get when you come to church. You see, they prophesied with the harp. Music affects you. Do you know that you can have good music with bad words? And you can have bad music with good words? And you can have absolutely beautiful music that's performed by absolutely rotten people. Somebody said, oh, I have Elvis Presley singing hymns. Give me a bucket to puke in, please. I'm sorry. Oh, he has such a wonderful, it's so beautiful. I don't care how beautiful it is. Elvis Presley died in a drug-induced coma. Do you want him to help you praise God? The king of rock and roll? And let me tell you, that's one of the most modern examples I can give you. How about Dolly Parton singing Amazing Grace? Give me a break. There's nothing graceful about country music. God's quiet, didn't it? You see, you need to understand, and we don't have time to develop the whole thing here. we just got to move on here. But Jejuthun and his sons, who prophesied with the harp under the hands of their father, used music melody to move people's hearts toward the God of Israel. You need to understand that just music can make a difference. Just music has a message. Why do people name songs that have no words? Because the composer wants the unenlightened to understand the message of the song. When I was a young man, one of the preeminent jazz players of the uh, 70s and 80s was a man named Chuck Maggioni. Uh, If you go through the, the malls, they still play that music today wrote a song. It was called, It Feels So Good. 
If I were to play the tune, half of you would be going, Oh, yeah, I remember this song. How many of you want to venture a guess what Mr. Maggioni was trying to portray in his music? Would it suffice to just simply say he was talking about immorality and the pleasures of sin? Would there be anyone who would want to argue that point with me today? I'll tell you to lose, because that's exactly what the song was about. There is music that is meant to move us toward God. That's why we have to be careful. Music affects you. Oh, it doesn't have any words. It still has a message, my friend. It still has movement. And which way is it moving you? Jeduthun and his sons were making music that just the sound of listening to it was intended to draw your heart closer to the God of Israel. That's how they prophesied with the harp. They put forth God's words with the notes. Uh, just an interesting thing if you want to... Well, I don't recommend really studying this, but uh, several years ago, some uh, people went through the Psalms and they took those little markings like um, uh, Higion and Selah and different vowel pronunciations and tried to work out a formula for music and said, these are, are the, the melodies of the Psalms according to the letters and the markings in the Psalms. This is some of the weirdest stuff I ever heard. I, I, don't, I don't put stock in that kind of thing. If God intended us to have those melodies, we would have them. He intended us to have the words... We have every one of them. Come on Sunday nights. We're studying that. How God preserved His Word completely. But you need to understand, Asaph, they prophesied at the king's direction as he was leading the nation. They would take the the hymns and the scriptures that he brought forth, the psalms in many instances, and they would sing them at the king's command. Jeduthun, he prophesied on a harp. Just the notes, just the music that was made, was made in such a way that drew the hearts of Israel to the God of the Bible. Then we have He-Man. And he had a lot of sons. Often like freaking people out. Or are these a couple of your sons? I said, yeah, this is a couple of them here. A lot of times I'll have Joey and Jason with me. And, and oh, this is two of my sons. And, and they'll look at me. I said, well, they have four brothers. Oh, my. And each one of them have six sisters. Uh, and, and then it'll dawn on them that, oh, oh, 12. That's still a lot of kids. Well, He-Man had 14 sons and three daughters. And nothing on us. I mean, we have nothing on him. But they were under the hands of their father for song in the house of the Lord with cymbals, psalteries, and harps for the service of the house of God according to the king's order to Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman. This is really a summary verse talking about the sons of all three of these men and how that they were under their father's hands. Now, I want us just to take a few minutes here and 
talk about music because this is what they were doing here. And, and, and I don't often alliterate sermons, but it kind of just came together. How many of you are familiar with the word coherence? Do you know what that word means? How many people know what that word means? Coherence. It, it simply means the action or fact of cleaving or sticking together. Cohesion. That's when you glue two things together. How many of you have heard music without coherence? How many of you have ever taken a music appreciation course? There's a song, an actual composition. I, I believe the name of it is Stardust. And the pianist is instructed to tinkle up here and then tinkle down here. And, and, and there are inordinate amount of rest and silence. And then about halfway through the score, it says, slam the piano lid five times. And that's part of the music. You say, that's stupid. Yeah, that's, that's what I agree, but you, you know what stupid is? That's dumb on purpose. Uh, that, that's where you have to work at it. You know, you have to go to school and get training. Uh, how many of you have seen that stuff they call art? And, and it's just smeared paint on a piece of thing and, oh, it speaks to me. You know why it speaks to you? Because that's what's inside of you. That's why it speaks to you. I don't want that garbage inside of me. How about you? One man went so far as he composed a piece, and instead of playing the piano with your fingers, you played it with a sledgehammer. And you destroyed the piano during the performance by beating it with a sledgehammer until it fell to pieces. Now, over at Union, we've done that a couple of times. In, in fact, we had a couple of pianos here that were too big to move. And so we got out the Sawzall. I guess we're musicians, huh? No. You see, if there's going to be music, there has to be coherence. There has to be a togetherness. There has to be a singleness of purpose and design. Could we say amen to that? Who was responsible for that? Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman. Those three men were responsible for making the music cohesive, giving it coherence, putting it together in such a way as when people heard it, they got the message. And there was only one message. Praise Glory, worship, obedience to the God of Israel. That was their message. You see, the next word is coordination. Because all three of these men were supposed to be doing things at the same time and at different times and in different parts of the same service, different men, different one of uh, individuals among these three would be leading the corporate worship of the nation of Israel. And so... They had to arrange in music. There are certain people who cannot write their own songs. And their only work, their full-time employment is in the arrangement of other people's music. They 
put it together. In fact, we have tried in the past to find someone who would transcribe many of the songs that my wife has written, and we have had a most difficult time. We would get someone who would do four or five songs, and then something would happen, and we'd have to get someone else. And right now, we're working with a young man, and we're getting a few songs put together, a few more songs. And But it is a difficult thing, the coordination. I I think of... Uh, I had the privilege of working at Cleveland Baptist Church for a year, and I, I taught school, but the best part of that whole thing was working with Paul Roush. Brother Roush, he was here a couple times. How many of you remember Brother Roush playing his clarinet? Now, if I'm going to pick my favorite instrument in the band, the clarinet doesn't make the list. Unless Brother Roush is playing it. It's just gorgeous. And he was a lovely man who loved the Lord. And, and, and I often use him as an example. I mean, he'd go walking down the hallway singing a song. And uh, uh, his son was there for a while while we were there. And, and, and I, asked, I said, John, is your dad like that all the time? Because I'd met a lot of people who are there one way at work and another way at home. He says, no, he's that way all the time. Doesn't it make you sick? And I'm sitting here going, I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying it. Because Mr. Roush was contagious. You see, the action of arranging or placing in the same order, rank or degree, the condition of being so placed, the relation between things so placed coordinate condition or relation opposed to subordination. How many of you, when you think of the word coordination, think of the opposite, subordination? I didn't, not until I read that definition. How many of you know what subordination is? In the military, that is a serious charge. That is a court-martial offense, to be insubordinate to your officer. The idea of coordination is there's got to be this coherence. By the way, you don't get coherence unless someone sets it. Amen? Hello? This is what it meant, under the hands of their father... These three men, they had direction. They had a pattern. And everything they did was warped to the pattern that was set before them. But they had to coordinate things. They had to set things in rank. How many of you like the symbols? And... uh when, when it talks about symbols in the Bible, it's not just talking about the big crash things. It's, it's talking about instruments that are struck. Many times people will get those, uh, they call them chimes, and they'll play them with their fingers and as a type of symbol. And, and they, were, they were tuned and they were put together and, and everything had to come at the right place. There had to be coordination. You know what there had to be? About cooperation. I mean, just a bunch of co-words all, all kind of came in here. Let me read you a definition out of the Oxford English Dictionary on the cooperation. The combination of a number of persons or of a community for purposes of economic production or distribution so as to save for the benefit of the whole community of producers or customers that which otherwise becomes the profit of the individual capitalist. Now that is a political economic definition of the word. By the way, that was written by a communist. Because here's what cooperation really is. 
And if we'll take this definition, it fits perfectly without the little caveat at the end. You see, I can only produce so much myself. But if I have someone helping me, the two of us can get more work done together than three people working individually. Are we together on that? You follow that? And so what happens is, in a cooperation, in a true, co- in a true spirit of cooperation, is that the output is multiplied beyond the capability of each person cooperating as an individual. Are we together? You see, there had to be coherence. There had to be a plan. Everything had to be brought and glued to the original thought. There there had to be coordination. There had to be an agreement between. But, But there has to be cooperation. That is where I take my force and I put it together with yours for a common goal. Uh, I will tell you the uh, uh, probably the best musical illustration of cooperation is a tuning fork. Now our musicians are laughing because they know exactly what I'm talking about. It is amazing to me how many instrumental groups are out there that do not tune properly. Drives me insane. Now, I, I am not one of those people that has perfect pitch. Uh, in fact, I don't sing on tune all the time myself. I just, uh, I get close, but that really doesn't count. When you take two instruments and have them in perfect tune one with another, it's amazing the sound that they make. And when you get an orchestra, they'll have 40 violins in the standard orchestra with 40 other different instruments, and they'll take all of those things and they will be all perfectly tuned in 20 or 30 different voices. Because when a violin plays a G, and when a clarinet plays a G, it sounds different. When a tuba plays that same note several octaves below, it sounds different. But when you get all of that on the same exact tuning wavelength. Oh, it is a glorious sound. And then we take all of those voices and begin to move them around and give them different parts. And it will move you to tears. It will fill your heart with joy. How many of you have ever heard the Marine Band play in person? The United States Marine Band. They're called the President's Own. Tell you, we was once as a young uh, student in middle school, I think seventh or eighth grade, we went to Washington D.C. It was a uh, a big uh, rally there uh, of Christian people on the steps of the White House, and and. Several senators and congressmen were there, and the Marine Corps band was there. You know, as, as a, just a young person, I didn't care about anything else. When that band started playing, I just go, Oh, that, that is what America is about. Our, our history is in our music, is it not? I wish we had time to chase this rabbit. 
How many of you know where the song Yankee Doodle came from? It was a slur against what one of the British officers saw our troops, our Minutemen, marching on the, practicing their drill, and he just sat down and wrote this ditty as a complete slur and slander upon our American soldiers. And the, and the sad truth about it, everything that was in Yankee Doodle was absolutely true. They were a mess. But at the Battle of Yorktown, when General Washington accepted the sword from General Cornwallis and the surrender of all British troops in the continental United States, they played Yankee Doodle to stick a finger in the eye of those very people who had slurred everything about those men. You know what the British general asked his band to play? The world turned upside down. Because he couldn't comprehend a world where his proud British regulars could be beaten by the Yankee rabble. Well, you see, they weren't rabble at the end of the war. And the French fleet off the harbor had just defeated the British fleet. And they had been defeated on every field of battle. You see, when we have music, if it's going to be, it's, it's got to be cohesive, my friend. It, it's got to be coordinated. There's got to be cooperation. Just a simple tuning makes all the difference in the world. An ability for instruments to hit the right notes. That's why beginning band is so much fun. Uh, I used to have a group of clarinetists. I taught every Tuesday morning. I affectionately called them my cat stranglers. Because that's what it sounded like. Oh, I can't handle this, Mr. Rouch. I know why you gave me this job. Now some of them are very accomplished musicians, and it's a wonderful thing, but we had to start somewhere. There has to be an effort made on the part of each instrumentalist in a group to hit each note in the proper pitch and tune. Just because you have your main tuning note in agreement doesn't mean every note on your instrument is going to be right. Especially when you're playing a violin, there's no marks on that thing. You know, one of the ways you can tell the difference between a classical guitar and a Nashville guitar is a Nashville guitar has all kinds of marks so you know where you are. On a classical guitar, you're supposed to know where you are without the marks. They don't put marks on violins. But I'll tell you what, I've seen more than one country player with a piece of tape or two down the neck of that violin so they know where to go. That's a sad business. You see, cooperation is not just simply goodwill. It is a sweaty, long, and hard labor that takes every ounce of reasoning ability that you have. Who directed the cooperation? Those three men, Asaph, Jidjathun, and Heman. That's why when the, the Bible summarizes, it says they were under the hands of their father. They were in their direction. They were actually slaves. They were not their own persons because they were cohesive with the message that was given to them by the leaders. But you know what else there was? There was some contrast. There were harps. There were cymbals. There were psalteries. There were voices. 
I, I, lo- I enjoyed listening to our men sing. You know why? Because there was some contrast. There were some high voices, and there were some low voices, and there were some in-between voices. I, I like that stuff. Because when you have the cohesion and the coordination and the cooperation, then contrast adds a level of beauty and glory and wonder to the music. Amen? But when you have contrast, I remember in our high school band... There was a trumpet section. And there were seven of them. And they prided themselves as being the loudest instruments in the band. Well, there were four saxophones in that band. And it was our job. And we worked hard to outblow seven trumpets. And we did it most of the time. Until the director said, guys, this isn't a contest. You each have your part. Listen, if you can't hear those around you, you're hurting the band. Ooh. Then it was time to pull it in a little bit. It was time to... Listen to the different notes and make sure that we weren't drowning out other people. If you've ever had the privilege in playing in a large group, 30, 40 people was our high school band, our concert band, and playing music from marches to some of the more classical pieces. One time we played the overture to Handel's Messiah for a Christmas concert. I'll tell you what, oh, that was so incredible. And then we played Sleigh Ride. Dun, dun, da, 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 dun, dun. Oh, it was fun. Learning to work together and coordinate and and give the contrast. But the last point I want to make today is a word that usually has a negative connotation in in modern society, but most positive in this one. And that's the word cohabitation. You know what that meant? That means living together. Do you know that when the priest came to worship, they, worshiped, they, they came by course. David was the one that divided up the priests into the different courses. They would have to show up at least seven days, more than likely ten or twelve days, before they began serving as a priest. There were 24 courses. That meant that each uh, each course of priest would serve approximately two weeks. They would have to show up at least eight days because on the seventh day they had to begin the cleansing or the sanctifying process so that they could begin to serve as a priest. And that had to be completely accomplished seven full days before they could step into the temple and begin to operate as a priest. Then they would serve their term. And then they would go home. And and so, this two weeks of service incorporated much more than two weeks, almost a month. You know what? These singers were Levites. They were helpers. They had to be sanctified before they could enter in. Uh, There had to be practices when there was something big that was the gathering of the entire nation of Israel, all 24 courses would be called in. Once in high school, I sang in a combined choir. We had almost 300 students from all across the state of Maryland singing together in one choir. And the choir director... Uh, 
she had her pianist there who was absolutely amazing. And I mean, she spent the first ten minutes of our choir practice demonstrating her skill and her pianist skill so that all of us students would sit there and go, wow, we can follow this person and we're going to sound better than we've ever sounded before. You see, the priest, in order to make this happen, they had to live there at the temple. Have you ever had a roommate that you couldn't stand? If you ever lived in a college dorm, you know exactly what I'm talking about, even at Heartland. Tell you what, I don't know how people live in the same house and all they do is fight with each other. But it happens. Every once in a while, we'll get a brother and sister on the odds with each other. And I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of effort to bring it back together again. That's kind of the job of father now, isn't it? These three men were in charge. They had to provide the direction. They had to provide the theme. They had to give every some, everybody there, each individual, something that they could get stuck to. So that when they were performing this music, they would be one. There, there had to be coordination. There had to be somebody directing. What would have happened if Asaph had gotten over here and he said, You guys are going to do what I say. And Jeji's son said, You're going to do what I say. And they all tried to do the same thing, uh, do their own thing at the same time. It had been confusion, wouldn't it? It had been a mess. There wouldn't have been anything that would have drawn you closer to the Lord. But there had to be a willing cooperation with each part. A tuning to bring things into alignment. So that when the little parts were all put together... The end production was a multiple, not an addition, of the efforts put in. Yeah, there was contrast. But you see, that contrast was coordinated, cooperated, and cohesified, if I can invent a new word. That led to the cohabitation. Because one day we'll be in heaven. Now this is Father's Day. Um, How many of you can see the application to fatherhood here? Okay, I got one. How about any more? Okay, there's a couple more. Do you know that you don't have to read anybody's book to know what being a father is? Because you can read God's book on what being a father is. That's cohesion. That's the pattern. Everything is directed toward. Amen? But there's got to be someone who has the final word, the coordinator. Recently had an issue. Why can't I park my bike somewhere else? Finally came down. Because I say so, that's why. Oh, I wish you'd said that in the first place. Well, actually I did, but you weren't listening. You see, if 
you have to spend all your time as a coordinator yelling to get people to follow you, are you a coordinator or a loudspeaker? You see, that's where cooperation comes in. I think my pastor, Roy Thompson, put it the best of anybody. He said, I'm the man of my house because my wife lets me be. That's a quote. You know what? That holds true in the home. Wife, you want a, you want a man that's going to lead you? You want a man that's going to be the father that God wants him to be? Sometimes you've got to sit down and be quiet. Because he can't lead if you're leading. That's called cooperation. By the way, there's a, uh, a time when dad is dictator. You do what it says because it said so. Do not, please, if you want a word of advice as, 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 from experience, do not reason with your two-year-old. They do not need an explanation. Oh, please don't play with the stove because it's dangerous. What does that mean? You don't play with the stove because you're going to suffer the consequences of playing with the stove. Okay, I understand that. And you would be a very foolish parent indeed to let your child play with a gas stove. Hello? Or a sharp knife? Well, now it's good parenting not to let your child drink water out of a garden hose because there's chemicals in there. Well, it ever occur to you that there are chemicals in the water too? I mean, come on, give me a break. You can overdo this thing. And as your children get older... That's where that cooperation comes in, because just like the wife, if she's not cooperative with the man being the father, he's not the father. And children, there'll come a time where your parents, where your father needs your cooperation much more than anything else. You know what cooperation is in the home setting? It's willing obedience. It's being able to give your parents the benefit of the doubt despite what the science teacher says. Despite what you've read in the news article or, well, yeah, today it's the Internet. Well, Wikipedia says, oh, puke on Wikipedia. A great resource of useless knowledge. How about some contrast? Should there be contrast in the family? I have met families where every little kid was just like a little robot and walked just like this. And I've never failed to see some, discover later on, some really dark, horrible things going on in a family like that. Somebody said, your kids are so different. Uh, They're human beings. Are human beings different from one another? Well, then kids ought to be different from one another. Shouldn't they? Oh, yeah. Somebody talked to my wife, said, oh, you've got to be an expert of being a mother. Said, well, each one's different. So I'm really not an expert because everyone's different. Oh, yeah, that's the way it works. It's a brand new trip every time around because they're not machines, they're people. Enjoy the journey. It's a whole lot easier to laugh than it is to cry, amen? But see, if you don't have the cohesion 
and the coordination and the cooperation, the contrast destroys everything. Are we together? And then this cohabitation, you know what that means? That means you're preparing for heaven. The Bible says that the father is supposed to live, the husband's supposed to live with his wife according to knowledge. Gentlemen, if you don't know what that verse means, uh, sign up for counseling because you need it. You have to have a little bit of ability to look at the course that God has given and the people you live with and put those things together so that you can live in peace and still accomplish what God has asked us to do with our families. By the way, every one of these words applies to a church as well, now doesn't it? Someone once said, Oh, Pastor, you're just like our Father, and if you're here today, please, I'm not trying to... But I'm not your Father. There's one Father. He's in heaven. Guess what? We're all His children. But there's got to be a coordinator. That's my job. So... Would you give me the benefit of the doubt? Uh, how about some willing cooperation? Let's, let's tune the instruments. Don't worry about the contrast. It happens naturally. When you seek the contrast, you destroy everything. You see, these were under the hand of the Father for song. In the house of the Lord. Father, you're here today. You got the biggest job in the United States of America. You have the most important job in the world. We would only have fathers raise their children according to this world word. The world in the next generation would not be the same. We're losing the battle, we say. Society is going... But if fathers would only be fathers. And by the way, ladies, fathers can't be fathers without some cooperation. And there's no coordination if nobody follows the direction. And fathers, if you don't grab the right plan first, there's not going to be any cohesion. And cohabitation is just a word, not a reality. we got a job to do. Every one of us. Let's ask God to work in our individual lives, in our families, in our church, so that the music the world hears us produce whether it be the hymns we sing, the specials in church, or the lives they watch us live in the world, will move people toward the God of this book called the Bible. And all God's people say, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we just ask that you would work in our hearts and lives, that you would help us to understand the critical nature that is described in this verse, these verses we read. And Lord, I know the words I picked aren't in the passage, but Lord, I pray that through the Holy Spirit, people would be able to see the presence of each of these ideas full and complete in what is expressed in these few words that we looked at this morning. Lord, my prayer for our church is that the men that are here today that are married and have children would be fathers, biblical fathers. Lord, I pray for the wives and the children that 
they would be willing to submit themselves to God's plan and that there would be that coordination, cooperation. And Lord, I pray most of all for a blessed home. That's cohabitation. I pray for our church. Lord, that you would work to silence the dissonant notes. And that we would have these things in our church. That we may follow the direction that you have given us. Lord, I pray that the music that we make would be worthy of the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation, one we...